0: This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. I think if you and I knew it, uh, and if, if we understood it, I think it would transform your spiritual life. I think it would completely transform who you are, what you do, how you think, um, how you operate within the context of uh, your relationship with God, all of these things. Like if if we understood this, it's a passage that I refer to often when I'm preaching. It's one that like kind of takes me to the heights of spirituality and understanding and just like almost, and then just kind of makes my mind explode at the end. That there's this, there's this promise in scripture that essentially leads us to a place that is uh, glorious. It's absolutely gl- glorious. And I, and I just want to tell you right here and right now, I don't know how you're feeling about your, your walk with Jesus. I, I don't know how you're feeling about how your, your discipleship uh, in Christ is coming. And maybe you're not even, you haven't even started that journey yet. This is a great place for you to be. But if you have started that journey, you just feel kind of stuck like I do sometimes, like I do often, like even multiple times throughout the week, man, I feel stuck. Uh, But there's there's more for you. There's more for your relationship with Jesus. There's more for what God has for you. But it doesn't really come down to you doing more, being better. I don't know if you saw the t-shirts out there. It says, do more with a line through it, be better with a line through it, and then it says, love Jesus, live outward. Underneath that it's not about doing more or being better. some of us are really stuck in that where it's like man if I could just just wrestle down my time, if I could just come to a place where I finally stop that one thing and I start that one thing if i if I could just you know make these efforts, if I was more committed, then better things would happen. if I just did a little bit more, I could do more, I could be better and then my faith would be, would be so much better. So, so many of us just walk in with shame. We're walking with toxic shame over what we did last night, what our thought life has been, or, or what we are or are not doing. We're walking in with shame, and there's this deep sense of I'm not worthy. And what we've seen through the book of Ephesians is really just this push towards people uh, in, in, within the church, God's people understanding what it is that God has done for them. He's taken them from being dead to being alive. He's taken them from being isolated and angry with one another to being together in love as a church. This is what God does. He creates these, these people and he what's been uh, communicated to us is that we are people who've experienced the grace of God in such an amazing way that it takes away all of that shame. So like when you walked in these doors, I hope that you get a sense of like this kind of shower, this car wash you walk through that you just go, "You know what? I just get to experience the grace of Jesus." And what this passage that we're t- going to be talking about for the next several weeks What this passage tells us is it tells us, I don't just want you to know. I don't just want you to think. I don't just want you to have this knowledge. I want you to feel loved at the deepest core of who you are. You know, that's one of the biggest things that we need. You know, psychologists, people say Everyone walks into every situation, their life, their family, their work, their whatever, and they're asking this question, am I loved and am I accepted? You walked in here today, if if this is like your first time, you might've walked in here thinking, and maybe not even aware of it, am I gonna be loved and accepted here? Am, Am I going to be loved, am I going to be accepted, not just by God, but by other people? And so much of our world today is, is, is geared towards acceptance. It's geared towards people understanding, like, you're accepted, you're loved, you're cared about. There's all of these great efforts on some level to have people come to a place where they feel like they're, like they're loved in, these, in all of these various circumstances, especially in our schools, in our workplaces, in the... In the public sphere. Like, are, are people feeling loved and accepted? And so we want to end racism and we want to start tolerance and we, we want to end these kinds of things that make these people feel bad and we want to do these kinds of things so that it makes these people feel good. And it's because there's a sense in which our world has tapped into something which is very needed and that is every single human being that's ever been created has this question, am I loved and am I accepted? The problem comes when our world says, you are the definer, you are the arbiter of your own love and acceptance. You wanna be loved, love yourself. Now there's a sense in which you shouldn't hate yourself. But there's a very real sense in in which it's saying that you need to do something that only God can do in your life, that only God can do in your heart, that only God can do in your marriage, that only God can do in your workplace, that only God can do in all of your relationships. There's this deep sense in which our world says, you can answer your own question. But here's the problem is you weren't created to answer that question. You can't answer that question. That question can only be answered by God. And the way that he proves it to us is through the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came, he pays the penalty of sin that we owe. He pays that penalty, and he goes to the cross, and he he dies, he's buried, he's resurrected. And he says, it's for you, and it's for me. And he creates the possibility of there actually being a relationship between man and God. He creates the possibility that you and I can have relationship with him. Now there's many, many Christians who know the content of the gospel, but the thing is is that they're stuck because they haven't experienced the love of Jesus that comes to us through the gospel. So let me ask you that. Do you feel the love of God? Is it experiential to you? Have you experienced God's love for you in a way at any time where it's just like it's overwhelming, perhaps? There's these historical figures you know throughout throughout history that have that have experienced the love of god in ways that like you just you just would have thought they had already experienced it john wesley being one of them when he says that his heart was strangely warmed after years and years of doing ministry and then finally comes to this moment where he finally maybe understood the gospel but it was it was like there was this experience of love and acceptance from god that finally hit his heart and I don't know about you, but like, are you in a place where you've experienced the gospel, where you've experienced the love of God in such a way that it just transforms you? What I want to tell you is that this is for you, that this is for me. I haven't arrived. I haven't come to the point where like I've got all that figured out. As I said in my prayers I was beginning, I, I just was feeling so like uh, underqualified to even communicate this. I've been talking about this passage for my entire ministry, and yet here I go to preach on it again for, I think, the third time. And I'm walking up to it, and I'm just going, do I know the love of God like that? And I was feeling bad about myself, and I was feeling, man, I'm not very good at this. I feel, I feel terrible. And then I heard one of my favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I was listening to one of his sermons on the same passage. And he said something that I've never, I don't think I've ever heard him say before. He said something to the effect of, I just don't feel qualified to speak on this because I'm just, I'm just not there. Nobody is qualified to speak on this. Because of this, because it is so high, the depth, the, 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 the heights, the depths, the, the width, all of these things are so massive. It will take you eternity. To experience this it will take you eternity to experience this verse 14 is a continuation the apostle paul has picked up his thought again he had started it in verse 1 of chapter 3 where he said for this reason i paul a prisoner for christ jesus on behalf of you gentiles and then he interrupted that and he, he said well i need to back up and tell you some things about myself so then he finally picks up his thought again and he picks it up in verse 14. And in verse 14 he says again, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He's beginning with a prayer. And now he's already prayed a prayer earlier. And that prayer, the content of that was essentially to say like that you would know the hope to which he has called you. Like Paul is Paul is really serious, God is really serious about you not just knowing theology, but knowing what that theology does and how it brings you hope. Knowing about this God and then truly knowing the love of this God. And so he says, I'm bowing my knees before the Father. It's this very reverent prayer. Or he may or may not have been physically bowing his knees, but it's figurative at least where he says, in a solemn prayer, like, I'm gonna pray for this, I'm gonna pray for you, and I'm gonna pray not just for your circumstances. Think about your prayers. The prayers that we pray, where we're talking about our circumstances all of the time. God, would you let me get this rental house? Would you let me uh, get married? Would you enable me to make more money? Could I get this job? Would you make my marriage better? Would you make my kids better? Would you make me better? We're praying about our circumstances, which is not a bad thing. He wants us to pray for those things. We pray for blessing. God, would you bless me? Would you bless her? Would you bless them? Bless everybody. Bless the election. Bless, bless all of these people. But that's not what Paul's praying for. Paul is specifically praying for a couple of things. He, he's not praying for their circumstances. He's not praying that God would bless them. He's praying for them while he's in prison. And people might think, like, uh, you know, he's in prison. What can he do in ministry? He can sit there and pray, and he's writing letters to the churches, and he's encouraging them. Like, there's nothing that stops the Apostle Paul's faith you can, you can try to imprison him. You, I mean, you could have illness, weakness. Circumstances do not confine his faith. And I don't know if you can like, imagine this, but imagine if somehow like, the church got shut down and like, everybody had to stop meeting or something like that. Like, that would be so weird, wouldn't it? You know, that'd be kind of a crazy circumstance. Can't imagine that happening. But what if that did happen? Does our faith Stop. Does does our God stop working? Does our religion stop working? No, because our religion is not based on being in a building. Our religion is not based on doing these rites and rituals. Our religion is a relationship with this God that we can talk to at any time, and we can pray for things that are quite important. Another thing about this is that it's not just uh, preaching or commentaries, or things that we can read, things that we can uh, take in, but it's also prayer. It's prayer and preaching. It's not just the things that we're uh, trying to to learn. We, We need to take this class. We need to go do this, and we need to do that. Maybe you're concerned about that. Maybe you aren't. But prayer is a really big part of that. I've been convicted about that recently, that I'm not praying enough about all of the things, and especially my heart, When it comes to God. And like, God, man, do do I feel anything for you? The Apostle Paul is showing us that we need to be praying for ourselves. For our receptivity of the word. And we need to exercise that gift. And then, lastly, he's praying for other people. Are you praying for other people? Are there people that you're thinking about who are uh, potential disciples? Or maybe they are a disciple and you're discipling them. And you're walking with them, are you praying for them that, that God would open up their eyes for them to see the reality of what he has for them? Are we praying for other people that, that like are in our life and that we want to see them grow? Or does it always come back to our circumstances, our blessing, our stuff, our situations? Are there people that we are praying for? Some of you are really, really good at that, and I... Praise God for you because sometimes you tell me, hey, I'm praying for you and I appreciate that so much. I'm praying for the church. Or are we praying for others uh, throughout? So he says this, he says, "Uh, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every, that means whole, the whole family of God um, in heaven and on earth is named. So he's saying, I'm praying for God's people. I'm praying that God's people would experience something. And it's, it, it is wholly emotional. It is completely experiential. This is what he's saying. He's praying for God's people. What does he pray? He prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we'll stop right there. That's the content of what we're gonna be teaching today. What's he he saying here? He's saying, I want you to experience, really what he says in verse 319, he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that that would transfer into this fullness of God. I, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How does he get there? He begins praying for them that God, out of his deep riches of his glory, that he would give you something. That he would strengthen you with power. Have you ever thought about that? Like, do you, That you and I need the power of God to experience God. Like, I need, I need the power of God to actually know who he is. Remember what I said? Many of you walked in and said, I haven't done enough. I'm not doing enough. I haven't been enough. I haven't, I haven't been reading enough. I haven't been praying enough. I haven't been doing anything enough. Paul says, your real problem is this. They need the spirit of God to strengthen you with power that you need the spirit of God in your life to awaken something that you haven't had before, that you need the spirit of God to be able to experience God at all. What's he say here? He says that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What, what is the inner being? What is the inner being? It's, I was really stuck on this. Because Paul is speaking about something that all of us know. That, there, that, that there's a person inside of us, a soul. There, there's, there's, something, there's, there's something about me the part of me that watches what I'm doing day in and day out. And sometimes we're not aware of that person. Sometimes we're not aware of what's being thought or what's being said. Sometimes we're not, we're not conversant with that language. But our world today is becoming more conversant with this idea of having an inner man. Our world is becoming increasingly aware that there's something going on inside of me. That there's, that there's a person in here that is, that is struggling. That, there, that there's a person inside of me. And, and most of our, our world today is really speaking to this. It's speaking to this in, in ways that say, You know what? We need to create safe spaces. We need to, to, to create places where, where people feel safe. And where people feel like like they're like they're okay in this environment, in this place. I know my uh, my kids come home and tell me crazy stories from my kids are in public school. Uh, we still are Christians, just so you know. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but they are they are in public school, and boy, isn't it is it an experience? But like one of my kids told me the other day that like if you don't want to be talked to. Uh, you can take one of the rocks in the classroom. Apparently they have rocks in the classroom and you can set it on your desk and that means I don't want to be talked to. What? Come again? Okay. All right, okay. So, so we got that. It's all in this effort to say, like I want you to feel safe here. I don't want you to feel bad. It's this awareness of this fragility that we have. It's this awareness of the the fact that we are are people who have a self that might be easily injured. And so we talk about trigger warnings. We talk about things like that, that that cause us like, oh, that's gonna injure me. That's gonna be hard. I think the inner being from Scripture really speaks to this. Because most of our world is saying, whatever your inner being, whatever your self, Says to yourself about who you are Believe it, it's true And everybody around you needs to affirm that And if they don't affirm that Then this isn't a safe space Everybody around you needs to affirm Whatever yourself is saying to yourself What this is saying Is it's saying you do have an inner being But it needs help You do have an inner being, but it absolutely needs help. Because you can't be the one who defines you. You can't define who you are as a person. You can't define your sexuality. You can't define your gender identity. You can't define anything like that. That's not for you to define. You were not created that way. It's not a political thing. It's nothing like that. What it is, is it's a spiritual thing. And you have an inner being. The problem is, as Proverbs 23, 7 says, in the old King James, it says, For as a man thinks, so is he. The problem is this, is that if this is what you think about yourself, then this is what comes out of you. This is, what, this is what takes place. This is who I am. Some of us have been surprised about the anger that, that jumped out of us. You ever flip someone off in traffic and then just go, gosh dang it, why did I do that? What, what happened? As a man thinks, so is he. You ever do something wrong and then you just go, I don't know where that came from. As a man thinks, so is he. There's something about my inner being, there's something about my selfhood that is speaking to me in such a way that says, this is who you are. You know what makes me feel safe? It's when I'm in control. Do you know why? Because I grew up in a home that was out of control. And so what I realized as I was growing up as a kid, is that because I feel like no one is fending for me, I must fend for myself. And so I'm really good at taking control over situations. I'm really good at misusing authority sometimes. My sinful self is. And it's because the way that I think about myself is what comes out. The way that I think about myself is what is projected to other people. And I don't know about you, but I I don't see the world... Going from worse to better. I'm I'm seeing our world go from worse to catastrophic. And I, I don't I don't and this isn't this isn't about politics. It really isn't. It's about people who have an inner self that defines who they are, that is projecting to our world all of these ailments and all of these problems and all of these desires that you were never intended to make. Because you come to every situation and you say, am I loved and am I accepted? And I come to every situation and I say, am I loved and am I accepted? What do I need to do to get love and accept? For me, it's been control. I don't know what it is for you, but for me it's been control. And so we allow our our heart to speak to us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Another translation says, and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Who can understand the thoughts and intentions of the heart? Who can understand that? Who can understand what's going on there? It's like your heart and my heart is lying to us, is lying to ourself. You won't be loved unless you're in control, Matt. You won't be loved unless you, you act like you're bad to the bone, like you're bigger than everybody else. That's, those, are, those were the words that I, I didn't understand. I was, I was saying those to myself. You won't be loved unless you give this guy what he wants. You won't be loved unless you get the job that you want. You won't be loved unless you get married. You won't be loved unless you can bring something to the situation. You can fulfill a need. You can help somebody out. Whatever it is. You will not be loved if you do not do this. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's deceitful above all things. Your heart and my heart is lying to us. It is lying to us. Why does my inner being need to be strengthened by the Spirit? It is so that the truth of God can go from here to here. The seat of the mind, the will, the emotions. It's so, it's so that the truth of God can come out of being something that, like, God is love, and He loves me, and He went to the cross for me, and so on. And it needs to go from there to a sense, to a feeling of love, so that your thinking can change, so that your actions can change. See, as long as you focus on your actions, you're just doing behavior modification. What God wants for you. See, he wants you to experience his love on such a deep level in your inner being so that you are transformed dramatically. So that you experience the transformation. So that you experience the love of God on such a level that you've maybe never experienced it before. He wants you to experience it so much so so it says this. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ would dwell. Now what, what, is, what, what is this idea of dwelling? This idea of dwelling is not just that, that Christ comes in and then leaves again. It's a dwelling. It's a staying. It's a constancy. It's a constancy. Now you might be asking the question, like, Christ, that, so that Christ may dwell? I thought that when I received Jesus as Savior, when I asked Jesus into my heart, he was there, there's nothing getting him out. Now that language is not entirely helpful because there's a very real sense in which we do have the Spirit of God. What Jesus is saying, I want in on an emotional level. I don't know if you remember from Revelation chapter three, maybe you don't. It's a letter to the church in Laodicea. It's a letter to Christian people. And what's their problem? Their problem is that they're lukewarm, they're neither hot nor cold. Like they're, they're, they're people who are, they're not really on fire for, for Christ, but they're not really against Him. They're, maybe they're concerned with all of the things that are happening in their life, the elections, the you know, what have you, their job, their family, whatever. They're neither hot nor cold. They're not against him, but they're not necessarily for him. What does Jesus offer? Jesus says in Revelation 3:20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you know who uses this verse oftentimes? The people who are preaching a a gospel message. And they say, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he wants in. But this is not to non-Christian people. This is to current believers who've been in the church for a long time. And what's it saying? It's saying, I want in to your heart. I don't just want access to your mind. I want in to your emotions. I want in to the very seat of the judgments in your life. I want in to everything that you are and I wanna come in and I wanna dine with you. A very intimate offer in that day is I wanna come down, I wanna come in and I wanna sit with you and I wanna have a meal with you. See, here's the thing, he's offering to you He's offering to you that your inner being would be so affected and so transformed that you would experience the love of God. But what must happen is this, is that Christ has got to dwell. Christ has got to dwell in your heart through faith. How does he dwell there? He's standing at the door, he's knocking, and he's saying, I don't just want to be a resident I want to be the president. That's the one rhyme I got for you today. I don't just want to be a placard on your wall. All the Christian placards that say something about this house and the Lord and something like that. It's not just a placard. It's I want to be there with you. I want to be in there. See they have relationship with God. And thank God you can have relationship with God, you can be connected to him, you can be a Christian, but what Paul is offering here, what he's saying is he's saying there's more for you. It doesn't just have to be that you're dead in your faith. It doesn't have to be that you have to walk around with shame that says, I haven't done enough. I haven't been enough. I haven't d- done enough things. What it can be is it can be this that Christ is dwelling in your heart. He has taken up residency and it's just continually telling you, My son, I love you. My daughter. I love you. You are loved. My, my kids are an insatiable sponge for my love. I am imperfect in giving that love. But they will, give, they, they will take my love anytime, anywhere, any place. I just love them. And sometimes they come up to me as old as they get and they still just want to give me a hug. They still just want to hug me and it's because they are an insatiable sponge for my love. You are an insatiable sponge for the love of God through Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. And he offers to come. He offers to come into your heart and not just be there for a moment during a church service, but to dwell there. What's he doing while he's dwelling there? He's not, when commentators said something to the effect of, he's not just there to soothe and to comfort. He is that. But his soothing and his comforting comes along with his ruling and his reigning in your heart. Why? Because you cannot define your identity. Our world is going from bad to worse because it believes that it can define for itself what its identity is. You, in your inner being, need the ruling and reigning of the dwelling Jesus in your life to bring about this love. I love you this way, and I love you that way, and I love you so much that I would keep you from this, and I would keep you from that, and I would encourage you towards this, because you cannot define you in your inner being. Only the power of the love of God through the dwelling Christ in your life can make that happen. Men and women, I just have to ask you, are you okay with just being Christian in name only and just attending? Are you okay with just defining yourself continually as whatever, whatever political spectrum you're on? Are you okay with defining what you need, what your needs are? Are you okay with that? Because I, I gotta tell you something. You're just trying to fulfill and fill a hole that will never be filled. It's a bucket with a hole in it and it just, it's just gonna keep coming out the bottom. The love of Christ must be communicated to you. Now, how do you get it? How do you get it? Is, am I gonna say, do more, be better? Go to church more often? Start reading your Bible, stop looking at porn, stop going after money, stop. Is that, is that what I'm gonna say? Some of those things might help, by the way. But what really has to happen is this. The spirit of God has to move. I can't do it. You can't do it. The spirit of God has to do it. And so as you are sitting here and you're thinking, okay, I wanna I want experience the love of Jesus in my inner being so that he defines me and no one else. The only thing you can do is pray. and you might wanna pray. Let me me pray this over you, would you bow your heads? For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth and an outward church is named that according to the riches of your glory, God, that you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, that, Lord, these people that are in this room right now, that they would be strengthened with power in their inner being, by the power of your spirit so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, that you would dwell in their hearts through faith. And that these people, all of us in this room and who are listening to this message, that that we would be rooted and grounded in love And that that would give us the strength to comprehend with all of the saints that have come before us and after us what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know your love, Jesus, that surpasses us even being able to know it, that we would be filled with All the fullness of God. Lord Jesus, I can do nothing better than to read this prayer. And Lord, I'm praying that you'd create a movement in our church of people that are just longing to experience your love in a way that we've never experienced it before. Lord, I pray that for these people, for these men and these women. There are people in this room that feel dead, spiritually dead. They haven't grown at all. They might have accepted you as Savior. Yes, that's good. That's great. That's, That's fantastic. They've been sealed by your Holy Spirit, but Lord, there's something that's missing, and it's the experiential knowledge of your love that they would feel loved in their inner being, in their self. God, we pray for that. Help us long to experience your love. We pray this in your name, amen.